Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. I'm Isaac, your host. If you're new in doubt and have no idea who we are or what we do, uh, let me just tell you, take some time and tell you. Uh, we seek to bring the gospel to the relevant issues of life and faith that we face every single day to cultivate conversation. We want to spark conversations about different issues because conversations have the potential to totally transform and change lives. So whether we're addressing sexuality, mental health, abortion, pornography, alcohol, worldviews, theology, and more, we want to draw people into a conversation where there is an explicit gospel lens in which we're looking at the issue, right? But anyways, this week's conversation is a very important one. Uh, Not only is the topic very relevant as it pertains to our use of technology as Christians, but also Andy Crouch was just super easy and fun to talk to and listen to. So here's my conversation with Andy Crouch. With me today is Andy Crouch. Andy is an author and speaker. He's actually a former executive editor at Christianity Today. And I mean, I don't really know uh, what else to say because, I mean, you've done a lot. Uh, you've done a lot of things. So it's great to have you uh, on the show today, Andy. It is a pleasure to be here, Isaac. Thank you very much. Um, to begin, yeah, let us know a little bit more about who you are. So I don't have to, you know, say those things because I don't really know. So yeah, y- you tell us who you are. Uh, yeah, we love that. Yeah, in you know, in order, I suppose, I'm a son uh, of parents who happily are still living and well, uh, and now are grandparents of my kids, so I'm also a father, and my own children are in their late teens, uh, one, in, one in her late teens, another is 20 now. He would insist that he is not in his teens anymore. Um, I'm a musician. That was kind of my first uh, professional work, and, uh, and I'm also a journalist, and I've spent the last 15 or 20 years really doing journalism. Uh, so that's my kind of uh, portfolio: writer, editor, musician, dad, son, uh, husband. That's that'll do it. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's good. That's good. Now, when it comes to your 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 faith, did you grow up in a Christian home, or how does that kind of work out? Yeah, I grew up in a home where we did go to church um, most Sundays, I would say, and uh, and yet it was a little hard to say how that affected our family life. There's, you know, we sometimes talk about nominal uh, Christianity or nominal Protestantism. And and uh, I think that was really, that would describe my upbringing. But at the beginning of high school, uh, my family moved and my parents wanted me to connect with other kids and they dropped me off at the local Methodist church. And actually in the course of just a week of, of encountering um, fellow teenagers, uh, high school, kids who really took their faith seriously in a way I had not seen before that, I made a very particular decision to uh, discover what it was to be a Christian. <laughs> and and I happened to end up in a high school uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, not, a, not the Bible Belt by any means in the United States, uh, where there was a, an amazing community of Christian kids. And I really came to faith, my own faith, in the context of that community. And in some in some distinction from my family and some tension, I would say, at that time, um, but uh, began to own it for myself in, yeah. in high school. That's yeah. so good. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's, I think it's important for us to hear that. 
Um, okay, so uh, recently I was sitting down with my pastor. I think it was about six months ago. I guess that's not really recently anymore. But anyways, six months ago, and uh, and he he showed me this book called The TechWise Family, and he's like, hey, he's like, I, I'm reading this, and uh, it's very good, and and he's like, you should, you're totally welcome to borrow it. So so I grabbed it from him, and I've started to read it. But anyways, Andy, this is a book you've recently written, just last year, called The TechWise Family: uh, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper place. And this is kind of what we're going to get into in this conversation, just for our listeners to know as well. Now, yeah, let's just jump right in here because we only have so much time. So y- you say, Andy, in the preface of uh, your book, that the main point is about how to find the proper place for technology in our family lives and how to keep it there. So obviously, th- th- uh, there's a reason why you you even had the impulse to write a book about this in the first place. Yeah. And uh you know, why do there even need to be books and resources about the proper place of technology? What is this, I guess, problem uh, that you are writing yeah. to provide a solution to? Well, the the kind of proximate reason that I wrote the book is that I would be speaking about any number of topics, and I would mention in the course of my speaking uh, certain decisions my wife and I had made about about different kinds of technology as we were raising our, our children. Uh, you know, for example, that we didn't have uh, any screens available to the kids before before double digits, I like to say, before 10 years old. Uh, no TV, no laptop, no, you know, no nothing, no screens. Um, and I would mention this, you know, in some other context, but after I would speak, there would be a line of young parents wanting to talk to me, asking, how did, how did you do that? Like, how do you maintain those boundaries? Um, and what I realized, you know, technology... I think almost by its very design wants to be everywhere in our lives. Our phones want to be with us all the time. There's always a notification to check out. Uh, they're, they're kind of built. In fact, the promise of technology, as I, as I think of it, is easy everywhere. We always, we always add technology to our lives and, in a sense, to our whole society because it says it'll make our, our lives easier. And, and we know technology is really working when it's just always available. But I actually think this... I, we all sense that there's something um, that is not working well about this, um, whether it's people trying to get their spouse's attention when their spouse is absorbed in their phone or kids trying to get their parents' attention. You know, in the research for this book, we asked teenagers, what is the thing you would most like to change about your relationship with your parents? So we're asking the teenagers this question, and their their number one answer was, I wish my parents would spend less time on their devices and more time talking to me. (laughs) That's what the kids want. So this is often framed, the screen stuff is often framed as, oh, the kids are always on their screens. And and to some extent that's true, but the parents are also always on their screens. And we've allowed all these things into our lives. It's actually not just about screens. It's many other forms of technology that, that are sort of omnipresent. Whereas I think... Uh, there's a proper place for technology. That's in the title of the book, putting technology in its proper place. I'm not saying technology is bad. I'm not saying we shouldn't have it in our homes. I am saying we should make choices about where it is and when it is, and in a way how we use it. And that's what I felt like we needed some help with because the default settings are everywhere, all the time, always available, always there to be helpful. But I actually think we miss out on some of the best things of life um, as individuals and as families when we allow technology to uh, operate on its default settings. So this is really about changing the default settings and making some choices rather than letting the technology make the choices for us. Well, that, and that's that's interesting. So the, the next kind of question I want to ask is, you know, what, what kind of is God's purposes for us as 
humans uh, when it comes to our relationships and stuff? Because obviously, you're sort of saying we need to put technology in its proper place so it doesn't affect the relationship between a father and a son and, you know, yeah. different members of the church. So, yeah, because I, 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 I like how you kind of speak into this at the beginning of your book as well, the commitment to gain and wisdom and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. What, is, what is God's purposes for us as humans? Wow. I suppose... A, a way you could have asked that question back in the first century uh, that would have been the first century way of asking that question would be to say, what is the greatest commandment? This would be the kind of the first century Jewish way of framing the question you just framed of God's purpose. What's the greatest commandment? The Jews have all, you know, the whole Torah, right? All of the law and has lots of different commands, but what's the one that like sums it up? And so a, a Jewish scribe asks Jesus of Nazareth that question. And, and Jesus actually gives exactly the answer every Jew would expect. He quotes this thing called the Shema Israel, the, the sort of fundamental text of Jewish life to this day. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength. And interestingly, when Jesus quotes it, he actually adds something that's not in the Hebrew version, uh, but he says, You shall love with all your mind as well. So heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, and then uh, Jesus adds, uh, quoting another part of the, of the Torah, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what I take from this is that our purpose is to become a full human beings, in other words, full of heart, soul, mind, and strength, to develop all those capacities we have. So think of the heart as kind of um, the, the, the ability through, through what we desire and care for to make choices. The heart for the Hebrews was not just emotion, it was also will, like affective will. Um, the soul as fullness of self, depth of self, not being a shallow person, being a deep person, having soul, right? Uh, strength, having kind of bodily capacities that, that we express in the world, and then mind, using our cognitive capacities, and all of those being oriented towards love. Wow. Uh, both of loving God who made us, who desires for a relationship with us and loving our neighbor, loving our fellow human being. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing about technology is in a way what all these devices do is they replace aspects of heart, soul, mind and strength. Now, especially strength, right? So uh, I, th there's kinds of work that used to have to be done. I mean, take laundry, for example. Uh, <laughs> my, my great grandmother probably spent one or two days a week doing laundry, like full days, mostly using the strength of her own body. Well, now, you know, actually, right after we get off the phone, I, I've, I've been told by my wife, I need to put some laundry in the la in the washing machine. <laughs> And I'll, I'll like, ooh, I'll lift that laundry just about uh, uh, 12 inches into the laundry <laughs> machine. I'll close the door, I'll press a button, and then it'll do all the rest, right? right so I'm using right. basically no strength. And think about how our minds, uh, kind of our cognitive capacities now, if I need to remember something, I'm very likely, well, if I, if I need to find out something I ought to remember, I'll go Google it, right? Rather than storing it in my own mind. So in a way, what technology has done is, on the one hand, it's tremendously extended our heart, soul, mind, strength capacities. But in another way, it tends to replace them. <laughs> um, and the other thing it does, especially as it gets more engaging, is it can really interrupt our capacity to pay that kind of loving attention to God and to other people that we're meant to pay. So um, I really think, you know, our purpose is to, is to develop uh, you could say skill, heart, soul, mind, strength, but I think the deeper version of those, and I talk about this in the book, is wisdom and courage, like fullness of understanding who I am as a person, that's kind of soul and mind together. And then courage is kind of strength and commitment, that's heart and strength, like courage is when you, you can, against resistance, do things. And the problem is, if you make your life easier and easier, 
you're actually taking away opportunities to develop wisdom and courage. And the family, I think, is the first place for all of us, um, no matter exactly what kind of family we're born into, we're born into this little community of human beings that has to learn how to really love each other. <laughs> so that's what that's what we're here for. And uh, technology can either help some of that, but mostly it doesn't really help. It's kind of neutral to negative on actually developing the things that make me most human. Right. Okay. So that last thing you just said there, neutral, I want to quote something from your book uh, that I think is interesting. You say that technology is a brilliant, praiseworthy expression of human creativity and cultivation of the world. And I'll interject there and say, that's so true. I mean, we look around and it's beautiful to see that things that people are actually creating because of, uh, technology. But then you do say, like you just said, but it is at best neutral in actually forming human beings who can create and cultivate as we were meant to. I know you kind of already spoke into that, but I'm wondering yeah. if you could just kind of further explain that a bit. Cause I think that's really interesting. Yeah. It's worth it's worth exploring because there is a difference here. As an expression of what it is to be human, uh, I think technology is wonderful, uh, and and there's all kinds of possibilities it opens up in the world. I actually think another aspect of what we human beings are here for actually is to take the world God made and and through culture, through cultivating, through exploration, discovery, and invention, unfold the possibilities of the world. And that's that's essentially what technology does by harnessing the discoveries of basic science. And so that's all good. The only thing is, paradoxically, that this very good expression of what is to be human doesn't actually help to form the most important parts of being human. So it's once once you're formed, right? So once I've learned to uh, write, let's say, uh, technology can help me write a book and distribute it, and it can end up on your pastor's desk. And right, we've yeah, never exactly. met. Yeah. And now we can have a conversation using technology, and other people can hear that conversation. All that is great. But what made me the kind of person who could write a worthwhile book or could who, who could have, let's hope that we're having a worthwhile conversation, what made me that kind of person that could have that kind of conversation with you? Actually, technology had almost nothing to do with it. It was other people. It was sometimes very difficult experiences in my life. It was a lot of practice, a lot of embodied effort um, involved initially just in learning to read, which happened in relationship with another person, just didn't happen automatically or through technology, and all the way down to like having ideas worth using technology to print and publish and express. So it's, I mean, uh, and this is why actually I think technology in the workplace is mostly a great thing. It extends our capacity to be productive, but the home is not about being productive. So productivity is great for the workplace, but the goal of family is not productivity. <laughs> it's relationship, it's love, it's connection, it's formation. And in those things, technology actually is not very helpful and sometimes is really distracting. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, for those that are listening and have read your book and that, that are just sold on this truth and they want to do this, you do offer, <laughs> you know, in your book, you know, 10 TechWise uh, commitments. And I actually find them very helpful because some of them kind of speak a little bit more sort of internally. And, you know, you just have this in, in intuition that, oh, this is right. I want to I want to do this. But some of them are very practical. And as my pastor uh, would say, some of it's pretty radical. I mean, some of these things like <laughs> oh, even yes. in our own local church, it's like, OK, some families are not doing this. And obviously we, uh, you know, everyone to continue. You, you even say in the book, like, you know, kind of take them or leave them or kind of customize them. But I wonder if you yeah. could briefly. Uh, go through some of these right, sure. uh, commitments. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's it's not the Ten Commandments, uh, yes. <laughs> but it's not just the Ten Suggestions. Like these are things that in our family, through a lot of trial and error, we realized if we didn't do these, uh, we were missing out uh, on the best of family life, and we were kind of succumbing. So, I mean, I have ten. I'll, I'll go through them pretty fast, and then you can drill down on any ones you want. The the first is actually just super basic. It's like, what do we want family to be about? And so if you decide we are going to develop wisdom and courage together as a family, that that's what family is for, is to make us people who are wiser than we would be otherwise and more courageous than we would be otherwise, then you're going to filter every choice. Like, do we get an iPad? Do we get four iPads, one for each person? Do we get, you know, do we have iPads in the car? Do we like think, do we get a microwave oven? I mean, do we, do we use electric lights? Uh, you can actually filter all those questions uh, through the through the question of, will this help us develop wisdom and courage? And if it will, or if there's a way to use it that it will, then bring it on. If not, then let's think about how to set some boundaries or, or some, uh, some barriers or bright lines. The second one is uh, something, the, the next two are about kind of uh, space and time. So the second one is, is uh, we said to our kids, we want to create more than we consume. Like we're creators, not consumers fundamentally. So we're going to fill the center of our home with things that reward skill and an active engagement rather than things that kind of encourage you to be passive or let the device do it. So for us, this meant we looked at literally the place where we spent the most time. Our kind of first floor of our house is kind of an open living, dining, kitchen <laughs> uh, area. It's all got it. It's a small house. And that's where the family spends most of the time. And we decided we, we wanted to exile all the things that worked on their own or that took over being human from us, like the TV, like the glowing rectangles of various right. kinds. <laughs> and that, that this center of our home was going to be filled with things like a, an arts and crafts table for the kids, like a, a grand piano that we spent the kids' college savings on when they were very small. <laughs> uh, the kitchen, you know, place a place to cook, uh, the, a fireplace, we're fortunate to have that, and lots of books, all these things that kind of make you engage rather than just passively disengage. So that's thinking about the space you live in. And then the, the third one um, is about time. And and the basic idea is here, here is to be human is to be designed for a rhythm of work and rest. We're meant to work part of the time, but then we're meant to rest as well. And this is the biblical kind of idea of Sabbath, of a daily, weekly, annual kind of tradition of rest. And so here's how we think about our family. One hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year, we try to turn off everything that has an off button. Uh, we really dis disengage from the devices, especially the glowing rectangles, as we call them in our family, to cover all of, you know the TV, the phones, the laptops. Um, one hour a day for us, that's dinner time, one day a week for us, that's Sunday. And one week a year when we, our family gets to take a, a week or often two a vacation. And during that time, we just turn it all off. And it's, um, and, and, and I mean, we really turn it off in, in other words, at the dinner, at the dinner hour, we actually turn off the electric lights and light candles. Nice. And, uh, I don't know, you know, if you have ever had like a, a, a reasonably brief pow power outage, like where the electric service goes out. Actually, those are kind of really fun times, right? Where suddenly you have to gather around the fireplace or light some candles and you have different kinds of conversations. Well, in our home, we have a power outage every dinner time. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, great, yeah. And the kids love to light the candles and we gather around the table, we eat food that we've prepared. And it's just this wonderful break from the kind of device-led life. So that's kind of the principle of Sabbath, played out every day, having a rhythm every day and played every, every week and in the course of a year. Uh, 
the next one is actually related to that. And it's uh, super simple, but you wouldn't believe how few people do this, or maybe you would believe. And that is we wake up before our devices do and they go to bed before we do. So we do not sleep with our phones. Now, 80% of teenagers in the United States at least sleep with their phones. This is like the worst thing you can do, honestly, um, at, at any age. Um, but especially teenagers and and for our whole family and all these commitments are not things we made our kids do it's things the whole family does we decided the bedroom is needs to be a place where we get to disengage and rest deeply rest and you can't deeply rest when that thing is like beeping buzzing lighting up uh, or even just sort of lying there waiting for you to check it <laughs> yeah yeah totally so so we put our devices to bed then we go upstairs and go to bed so uh, there's uh, six more. You want to hear them quickly? I mean, you know what? Let's let's we we have we we have four minutes. So let's yeah, let's actually exactly. jump to some other questions. But yeah, sure. Well, I should say, yeah, the other ones get very specific. Like, how do you use time in the car? How do you use? Um, how do we use like entertainment? You know, TV and movies and so forth. And on all of these, the goal and I have suggestions in the book, but the goal is really to get us thinking about what's really helping us thrive as a family in, in wisdom and courage, not just sort of be passive and allow the devices to, to form us. Which is so good. And I, I'm glad you give really practical uh, kind of commitments or suggestions as well, because for some people, that's we that's just what we need to get us started. You know, we just want something black and white. Okay, this is good. I want to I want to tackle this. So I'm, I'm glad you do that. Um, a question now in our few minutes left, when you consider sort of these commitments that you've made, um, when you kind of look around at the general uh, kind of, at least the Christian world though, what, what do you see as most lacking today? And what, what, what commitment would you, you know, love to see really held onto and cherished today? Well, I think I would have to say the Sabbath, uh, this, this rhythm of work and rest that we have lost in the, uh, you know, I, I was going to say industrialized world, but actually in the industrial age, there was still, there were still Sundays. Uh, the whole society had a kind of shared commitment, um, rooted in religion, but not necessarily specifically religious to have a day of rest. And it's really in the consumer era when, when businesses need that seventh day of revenue, honestly, that those, those Sabbath laws, um, in most Western countries have fallen like uh, dominoes, you know, uh, and now all the shops are open. And now Sunday's just another day. Maybe you don't go into the office, but you still do your email. I think this is a huge loss for families, for individuals, actually for the whole society, especially actually for people who are at the margins economically and need, need to work to be told that you have to take a Sunday shift or you have to take seven days worth of shifts to fill out your, your uh, schedule and your income. So if there's one thing that would just be the most, it is a very radical idea. And, and honestly, I get a lot of pushback from Christians about this, but this is, it's actually in the Bible, you know, you're supposed to honor the set, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy and not just you, but everyone who works for you, it says in the yeah, command. That's good. Um, so it would be Sabbath would be my number one thing that I wish we would reclaim. Now, okay, consider your, your your son. He's 20 years old. He's now considered a Christian young adult, uh, yeah. as he would probably like to be called now a young adult, not a teenager. Definitely. And he really is. Uh, there you yeah. go. Um, but when you consider him and those like him, and, and obviously uh, girls as well, which commitment would you see would be best catered towards them? Would it be the same Sabbath, or would it change for young adults? Well, I, I mean, the, the need for rest uh, is kind of universal. 
And I might add the need for sleep and for really good deep sleep and not uh, this kind of distracted <laughs> sleep that we can get when we have TVs on in our bedrooms or, or whatever. Um, so that's pretty, pretty fundamental. But actually, I, I would go back to this very first thing. I mean, the thing about the, the beauty and the challenge of the 20s is they're really about who are you going to become. And, and the difference between the 20s and the teens is in the teens, other institutions around you, school, family, if you're a churchgoer, church, they, the, all the scaffolding and infrastructure was there to kind of shape you. But in your 20s, you exit all those formative environments and now you have to choose them. And you have to choose who, who do I wanna be? And, and I would hope that when we reflect on it, we think I wanna become a person of wisdom and a person of courage. And, and ultimately a person of love, right? With heart, soul, mind, strength, capacity for love. And, and it's really about, you have to examine every part of your life. Because I tell you, the culture around you will not help you become that, honestly. And you have to be intentional about it. And my son is having to do this now as he lives with a household of other, other guys right now. And what does it mean to live in a household that's not your family, where you're actually making choices uh, about what's good and what you most want from your relationships with each other? And I just think being intentional about that rather than, you know, there's a way to live in a, in a house full of like share the rent, but not share life and not actually doing anything intentional together. We're all just little individuals pursuing our own thing under the same roof. And that's so short of what can happen in your 20s. And so I think that sense that I'm going to choose relationship with other people who help me grow in wisdom and courage, that's probably the key thing. So good. Well, thank you so much, Andy. I, I really do appreciate your your work uh, in writing this book and just your heart in this as well. Um, if you're listening right now and you're interested in Andy's book, uh, go get it. <laughs> I'm almost done. I think I'm on a commitment number seven, uh, I think. And uh, <laughs> you can head to our podcast episode page to find a link for the book there or just type in TechWise Family in Google and you'll find it on Amazon and different things like that. Also, be sure to check out Andy-Crouch, uh, dot com for more about Andy, uh, his book, other resources, and things like that. But anyways, thanks again, Andy, and I hope to talk to you again. Isaac, thanks so much. This was really fun. Thank you. That was Andy Crouch. Again, all the links you need to access his site, uh, his book, TechWise Family, and more can be found on our episode podcast page. Perhaps you have thoughts on this conversation when it pertains to technology and our Christian identity. We would love to hear about it. So comment underneath this episode post on Facebook, uh, tweet us at indoubtca, or you can comment underneath our Instagram post about the same interview. And our Instagram user is indoubtca as well. Also, you can always email us at info at for suggestions of speakers for us to talk with, uh, for topics that you would like to hear about, and for any information that you would like from us. Also, everything we do at InDoubt, podcasts, articles, Bible studies, and more, everything we do, we give out for free. Yet everything we do costs us money, as you'd imagine. Uh, we are so grateful for the many people who give their money to continue our ministry efforts. So thank you for all those who give or have given generously to InDoubt. If you're interested in giving, that would be super appreciated. Just click the donate button on our site and follow the simple instructions there. Anyways, that wraps up our time together this week. Next week, we have the great opportunity to hear from author and pastor David Mathis. We talk about the important subject of spiritual disciplines. We hope you'll join us. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening. 
If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hi, Ben Lowell, Director of Good News Global Media's In Doubt. If you listen to today's program, you're either a young person looking to understand how the Bible speaks to current issues of life, faith, and culture, or you're someone passionate to see young people grow in their walk with Jesus and understand the Bible. We want to thank you for being with us and encourage you to touch base by emailing info at indoubt.ca or in the U.S., info at indoubt.com. Also, we want to let you know that Indoubt is a ministry that only exists through the support of donors. So every gift of any amount means so much. For more information, visit indoubt.ca or in the U.S., indoubt.com.